Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. LA 92 presents a powerful, affecting experience of a city in turmoil. Without talking heads or narration, the film eerily reassembles the news, the same news stories we heard back in 1992. Directors Dan Lindsay and T.J. Martin spent over a year search, researching and mining for footage from documentaries, journalists, and sifting through hours of archival broadcast footage. And the the outcome of all of that is L.A. 92, a powerful experience, a powerful documentary, and uh, put together by two Academy Award-winning um, filmmakers, and we're fortunate to have with us today T.J. Martin and Dan Lindsay, co-directors of L.A. 92. I will start with you, T.J., uh, just the idea behind uh, putting this together. Well, what prompted, we were coming up on the 25th anniversary. I assume that had something to do with your decision to uh, turn this into a, a film documentary, but was there anything else in, in sort of your uh, travels and your experiences you said, we've, we've really got to do this? Yeah, it was actually, you were actually spot on. It was the 25th year anniversary was coming up. And uh, Jonathan Chin and Simon Chin, the two producers uh, at Lightbox, are the ones who actually uh, conceived of the original project, and they brought that to National Geographic. So by the time uh, it had come to our desk, that has, it was uh, kind of a, a greenlit project um, that Lightbox and Matt Geo were doing. And um, we were actually in the midst of finishing a project, and they sent over some really rough materials, including a, a sizzle reel um, that had, you know, they'd done some, you know, very kind of uh, rudimentary uh, research and, and put together kind of, this, you know, maybe five minutes worth of archival material with some text here and there. Mm-hmm. And um, when we saw that reel, I think it really, uh, what really grabbed us most was kind of this, um, uh, raw emotion that was captured more so than uh, kind of the more, for lack of better terms, kind of the more sensationalized, provocative imagery um, of fires and, and people taking up arms, uh, well, specifically Ukraine merchants taking up arms. But really just, I think we're, we were surprised to find um, uh, how much material had been captured either via citizen journalism or through um, broadcast media of of people emoting and sharing their experience and visually showing what their, their emotions are and what their experiences are. So there's a couple of moments in particular um, where we thought uh, it was such a raw thing that if, if we could kind of preserve the integrity of that uh, emotion and not interrupt that, um, maybe there's a way to tell this film and tell this story uh, that's kind of taking a non-traditional method and not having a talking head kind of um, walk, you know, hold your hand through right. the process. Okay. And so for us, you know, um, coming from a verite background, uh, that also lent itself to maybe we can create a story that, or we can revisit these experiences, these events, um, where it's a little bit more active. And what we mean by that is um, we create a space where it's more experiential for the audience and it's less in retrospect, but it's more feels like you're, it's happening in real time. So yeah. those were the early discussions about it. Um, and then, 
we decided as a result to kind of tell it just using archival, and we proposed that to Jonathan and Simon, and they proposed it to National Geographic, and then uh, everyone bought in, and that's uh, when the film started. Yeah, I, I want to just as a film goer, as a, as experiencing the film, it, that there's this kind of you take us far enough back in the story to understand to give us the context. I mean, yes, you used archival footage and no, there isn't talking heads telling us, but it was really well done in the sense that we get the amount of context that we need to know as we approach the the beating of Rodney King on that freeway. And then that just, it's a kind of a, I wouldn't say slow simmer, but it, it just, it's a, it's a wonderful progression uh, through that time frame And, and, uh, um, Dan, for you, I, I I think that you're probably were you how old were you when all of this happened? <clears throat> uh, I was well when the Rodney King tape would have come out, I would have been twelve or thirteen years old, and I think when uh, <clears throat> and then when the uh, civil unrest happened, yeah, I would have been like thirteen or fourteen. Uh, so just a young teenager. Um, Do you, what in, was your impression uh, in the middle of the, the yeah. country? Yeah, oh, in the middle of the country. Well, where where'd you yeah. grow up? I grew up outside of Chicago in a oh. town called Rockford, Illinois. Okay. So just from a distance of geography and, and also now, the, you know, just looking back, thinking back on that time, what was your impression of that, what was going on in Los Angeles? Yeah. You know, that's something TJ and I talked about initially was just our our memories, uh, whether it be because of our age or just the amount of time that has passed since, you know, our memories were the Rodney King tape, the Reginald Denny, um, you know, the images of Reginald Denny being pulled from his truck, and then yeah. Rodney King's statement, can we all get along? And really that is kind of, as time had passed, those are really the only images that stuck in our mind. And so revisiting some of this, um, uh, you know, we I think we were reminded of the severity of the event, but I think also just there was things that, that in our young age that we just didn't really pick up on. Um and, uh, you know, it's also, this is, you know, this takes place kind of at the beginning stages of the 24-hour news network. You know, CNN had just come off of covering the Gulf War, and that became a, a kind of a, a big deal. And so, you know, it's a little different. We have to remember 25 years ago, there wasn't five 24-hour news networks that would have just been, mm-hmm. um, you know, constantly playing these images and talking about them. Yeah. Uh, TJ, sort of the same same thoughts, or how, what was you? What do you remember when you were? How old? How old were you when this happened? Yeah, I was about twelve, so I was in middle school when it happened. Um, and yeah, I think you know when we first started, kind of laid our eyes on the on the um, on some of the early archival material that they sent over to us. There, as Dan said, there's there's very like there's basically like there's staple moments that I think everyone associates with it. The beating, um, Reginald Denny, maybe there's a kind of a peripheral knowledge of Korean merchants picking up arms um, because it was such a provocative image. And then, um, and then, uh, and then King's speech. But as Dan and I talked a lot about, like the sad part is that Rodney King's can't we all get along speech became almost like what we now would identify as like a cultural meme. It became like a joke. Uh, like a pop culture joke, and that was really uh, disheartening to as we dove deeper into the material to kind of see w- getting further context of where 
what his background is, how old he was. He was 25 years old yeah. um, when this happened. The city's burning down his name, and they're expecting him to kind of solve the issue by giving the speech. Um, and to see him kind of struggle through that speech it, it just totally changed the dynamics and the perspectives of of what that all meant. So, but at the time for me, I was I'm from Seattle. Um, for me, the you know growing up mixed race and being very hyper conscious of it at a very early age, I'm being told I'm being seeing these images and being told. Um, from mainstream media that this consistency of hearing the words race riots, race riots, yeah. race riots. Yeah. So for me, the having this um, project come on our desk was just a continuation of exploring race and class mm. in America that I, that's been kind of top of my, my consciousness for a very long time. So it's just a continuing that conversation. Right. Yeah, and and I have to say I'm older than than you, and um, I I have to say that watching the film, I remembered in real time watching what happened, going back to the the, the Korean grocer shooting, uh, and I forgot Tiana. I'm, I've always butchered Natasha Harlan. Yeah, no, yeah, thank you, Natasha. And watching and seeing that, I remember at the time when the then the verdict came down, and uh, and but watching uh, LA ninety two for me was a couple of things, a couple of impressions. One is uh, it humanized all of the players for me in ways that I mm. hadn't felt that way before, okay? It, watching Rodney mm-hmm. King as he's preparing to, to, do, to address that news conference, seeing how vulnerable he looked and how shaken mm-hmm. he looked was just quite, a, you know, a jarring, jarring uh, experience watching the film. But also... Throughout it, I lived in Los Angeles. I've grown up in Los Angeles. I think people think of L.A. and California as more progressive, less even in the, the, the racial tensions are less, although I remember the Watts riots. I go back that far. So I know there is a – but but for me, it always seemed like other, okay? People mm. that were doing this were – this, you know, it's always the others that are involved. Mm-hmm. And that's always the impression, even the news coverage. And watching some of that coverage, I still felt that that was the message that was being conveyed, and for and the, the, this was just some mindless, you know, uh, explosion of violence and all the rest of it. So for people watching LA ninety two, I think they have to. This is the, the context that I grew up. This is the the soup that I grew up in, and um, watching it really pulls you completely out of that experience. And I, I, my hats off to you for for that for doing that because it's really important that we understand this in the context it deserves to be to be discussed that was you know one of our big goals going into it was to try to create something you know obviously the experience of watching the film it's very visceral um it can be it can be extremely disturbing to watch at times but our goal was ultimately to create something that hopefully would elicit a sense of empathy within people to try to understand where other people are coming from. And, and to do that, you know, we wanted to make sure we didn't necessarily have an agenda um, with the film. There's, you know, we have a clear intention and, you know, as filmmakers, we make very specific choices that kind of communicate I think our point of view on certain things, but, you know, we did try our, our best to, allow the experience to unfold and not, you know, so that the audience can wrestle with these issues in real time. And, and like you said, to, to be able to sit with Rodney King in that moment and feel his vulnerability, um, it's a lot harder to make judgments on him or, 
you know, uh, the if you have just the basic facts, and um, you know, you're reading it in a book, you you just you're never going to get the same uh, sense of if you live that experience. And then you know, for that specific example, him being brought out in front of millions of people um, as the city's burning in his name and being asked to to yeah. you know try to solve it, you know, it's just yeah. it's it's ridiculous. I appreciate you kind of, I, I really appreciate what you said about the idea of, of othering because we talked a lot about that. It's, it's even like when we look at, um, you know, critical events of, of our collective past, it is even in that sense, it's easier for us to distance ourselves, whether it's othering, uh, uh, like looking at the communities that were involved as other. Yeah. Or even that it's something that is, um, well, those were even um, a different generation than us that committed these um, right. uh, prejudices or, or um, crimes or whatever, or, or thought differently uh, collectively, like culturally was different. And so that it, that's, again, this in thinking in those terms, because we wanted to do, like as Dan said, we did want to elicit a form of empathy while you experience it so there's that's what kind of told us how to kind of um approach the film by by doing it archive only but archive only in the way that it's constructed meaning that it actually um takes you through it's very immersive and it's very experiential and one of the ways that i think that works kind of to speak what you're saying about um uh, you know empathy building and, and not feeling like it was the other or othering is to consistently shift points of view yes. throughout the course yes. of the film and that was very deliberate i think one um just in, in with that intention of empathy building and then two just from a practical sense so you know that's part of what the narrative what helps propel the narrative is you is is experiencing the same event um, or like the, you know, the day the, that the uh, verdict is announced, you know, there's this long sequence till the end of that first evening. And half of what makes that work is the ability to just constantly shift from different POVs. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily um, uh, different communities within the city. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's not necessarily different ethnic communities within a city. It's like you go from South LA, but then you go to, Korean merchants, but then you go to local government, then you go to uh, local law enforcement, and it's it's so it's it's a, a variety of different entities where you're experiencing the same event, um, and as a result, I think at least our hope is that you it becomes much more nuanced, yeah. um, and it gets you actively thinking, and it gets you actively feeling as as an audience, um, and it's not as easy to say, oh, I pinpoint what the what the problem was. Um, I think it goes much deeper than that. And our job is to hopefully present a space to have that conversation and not necessarily answer it. Right. No, I, I mean, I would, I'd love to dive into certain things in the film because they, the, of what they uh, meant to me watching them uh, once again for now mm-hmm. many years later, you know, the decision of the police to pull out of the, the area around Florence and Normandy, uh, the, the, you know, the, this kind of happened during the Watts riots, right? They just pulled back mm-hmm. and said, let them do whatever they're going to do. You know, mm-hmm. what, what, what other part of the city would that have been acceptable? 
I, I can't imagine that if there was rioting in uh, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, Hills, yeah, that they would, <laughs> the police would have decided to pull back and watch it, watch all of this violence unfold. I mean, I just can't imagine. And there's mm-hmm. there's so many. Um, and also, you're right. Seeing seeing the reaction of the African American community, you know, in that like there was a restaurant there watching the verdict. And then is that mm-hmm. Cecil Murray who we see the tear coming down his um, mm-hmm. eye? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Reverend Murray, who did, who's done so much in his life to to do the right thing with all of these kinds of issues, all of it. It just that part we I didn't see when when all this coverage was taking place. And I want to make one editorial comment about the Rodney King, uh, the the videotape of the beating of mm. Rodney King. You know, that always struck me as something that was, I mean, it wasn't law enforcement. That wasn't law enforcement. It was going taking place. That felt to me like some kind of a hazing, like a rite of passage for those for those cops. That's what that felt like mm-hmm. to me. They were, all mm-hmm. these guys, all their supervisors, were standing around while they did what they did to that man. It felt as if well, that's what they were doing. They were actually initiating these people into some kind of a culture. Is that what it felt like to me? Go ahead. Well, here's a bit of evidence to to back up your your suggestion is that, you know, there's at least from my research, I think there's at least six or more officers who had already clocked out, were off duty, were on their way back to the station, and they heard there was a high-speed chase and turned their cars around to go join it to be able to join in on the spectacle that and then also the other thing that a lot of people don't ever you know have not really realized is george holiday didn't pull out his camera because the cops were beating rodney king he just heard the cops pull somebody over he had just bought a video camera and he thought to himself oh this will be interesting i'll just film this and when he went to go get his camera by the time he came back they were beating rodney king so which suggests that you know this wasn't like something out of the ordinary that he just happened to catch. It was, you know, it was it happened frequently enough that somebody who just thought to film the police pulling somebody over uh, could capture something like that. Well, there's just so, it's just an amazing film. Um, it really is. It's, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you took the approach you did because in watching the film, you can still come up with excuses for some of this behavior, but it limits mm. your it limits the options you have to make excuses for what happened in those in those days mm-hmm. leading up to the the verdict and the days after the verdict. It really puts it in its proper perspective, and and just for you know watch this film because I think whatever your perspective is now, it will be different by the time you're done watching this film. Well, congratulations. Yeah, really yeah, hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, c- congratulations to both of you uh, uh, on this film, T.J. Martin and Dan Lindsay. Again, your uh, your work with the Undefeated and and uh, and other films is uh, you know fantastic already. Fantastic career. You have a lot uh, in front of you, I'm sure. So um, I'm honored to have you back, and uh, wish you all the best as we get closer to uh, the end of the year and. Um, some decisions are made about uh, about awards and things like that. I don't know if it's already won awards, but uh, I'll just leave it there. No jinxing here. But anyway, um, thank you so much for being a part of Film School. Uh, thank you very much. It. We appreciate it. Thank you for your interest. Thank you.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 